Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. did it again <laughs> we're here i know every week it surprises us it's a shock welcome to set phasers yeah it's a highly illogical star trek podcast a highly illogical star trek podcast it's about as illogical as they come quite <laughs> uh, <laughs> well we are your hosts aki and steph here once again to take you through star trek discovery yes the first season this the first season today mm. we'll be discussing season one episode three context is for kings uh today's episode's star date is 13724.6 just so you know good job we're keeping track at home we are keeping track of it all right aki should we uh should we do one of my favorite things uh if you mean run it down then yes it's time to run it down <laughs> can you run it down for me can you run it down for me? Oh, let's tell you what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so season one, episode three. Uh, my dad, who watched, uh, who listened to our last episode, Your wanted dad. me to make it clear. Yes, my dad, he, he had some feedback and he said, just to make it clear that People are supposed to watch the episode before they listen to the show. Yes, indeed. Which I thought was implicit, but listen, if that's the case, if you haven't seen episode three, you should probably watch it before we get into it. Just hit pause. Hit pause now. Go to your TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watch, watch. Watch the whole episode and then come back, unpause us, and get ready. Yep. It'll all make much more sense. And then we'll tell you what just happened. Um, okay, so it begins, as you may recall, last time on Star Trek Discovery. Michael Burnham was court-martialed and sentenced to, I believe, life imprisonment uh, for her uh, mutineering actions and uh, various other uh, things that caused uh, Captain Georgia to, unfortunately, meet her demise. So we begin with, uh, well, like a prison carrier or something Mm -hmm. like that. They're in jumpsuits. And uh, Michael's in like this uh, orangey mustard jumpsuit that Steph hates. I know because we co we we uh, we simul watched, <laughs> and she was like, "I do not like this mustard uh, jumpsuit." I do not. Oh, it's just ugly. Uh, my notes, however, were simply new hair, don't care. And uh, yes, Michael has uh, making being a prisoner for the rest of your life look like something a Vulcan can do without breaking a sweat. He just sort of like committed to this idea that she is going to suffer. She's on a ship with three other prisoners who are complaining and moaning about now being forced to be like a you know prison work crew for the war effort. So we get the idea that this war has been going mm-hmm. on now. This war with the Klingons is in full swing. And uh, one of them finds out that she's Michael Burnham and says, you, you, my cousin was on the ship that went down and 8,000 people died. And Michael, like a true Vulcan, says... Actually, 8,186. 
Uh, wow. Not to be pedantic, but... Not to be pedantic, but I am a Vulcan, so get your numbers right. Get mm. your weight and height up. Uh, the ship suffers an attack by some sort of alien bug that eats electricity. Yep. And the, the pilot uh, decides they have to go out, and the, and the prisoners are kind of freaking out. And the pilot has to go out and get rid of the bugs. And Michael is like super creepy, resigned to life in prison. Michael is like, yes, if the bugs eat all the electricity, then we'll float freely in space without any power until we suffocate or freeze to death, whichever comes first. Yep, super just deadpan with that. Total, total Vulcan. Yeah, no emotion. Just like this is death is going to be hard and painful. But they are... Miraculous. Oh, after the pilot is seen <laughs> being brutally whipped away from the ship because their tether broke, like through the view screen in the front, uh, the ship is caught in a tractor beam and they are being pulled up. And this is where we finally get what we thought we were getting in the first episode. Yep. We get that beautiful, beautiful, necessary shot of the ship. We get it from the aft engines and the cells. Mm-hmm. swinging around i think i actually wrote because it has the the call number on the back before you're like know what the ship is called ncc 1039 and then uh, 01031 and then it swings around to the front and we find out this is the uss discovery dun, dun, dun. we get that beautiful sort of saucer section yes exactly and you're like discovery oh that's why it's called discovery smash cut to credits uh so that's our cold open so we get on to the, the prisoners get into the cargo bay, the doors open up and we sort of through the prisoners talking because Michael's doing like stoic thing, get all these sort of details. We find out this must be a brand new ship. It's like spotless. It's the ship is so far from the front lines. Why would it be there? And we are greeted by the uh, stony visage of Commander Landry, who basically calls them all trash mm-hmm. walks right up to michael calls her like a mutineer yep and then she says we're supposed to feed you animals and she takes them to the the mess essentially the dining area mm-hmm. where michael <laughs> uh, gets her tray of food and is being stared at by everyone who knows who she is it's very high school it's very high school but like a little more scary dangerous yep and she runs into um the oh no, I wrote down her name because I can't remember it. Boo hoo. She wanna Google that. I should have written it down. Yeah, we should probably Google it. You can Google that. Kayla, that's her name. Very good. That was a short time frame to Google that. I'm impressed. Thank you. Well, I may or may not have had discovery up on my, my phone. Ah, perfect. <laughs> uh just in case I forgot something. So Kayla, we remember, was on the bridge of the Shenzhou, and we don't really know what happened to the crew of the Shenzhou, uh, but she's now got, like, I guess she's got some scarring here, and she has, like, a super cool cybernetic eyepiece Mm -hmm. around one eye, which I think is great. I really loved it. But she looks at Michael. She stares daggers at Michael and then gets up and leaves. Michael goes to sit down with the prisoners. Apparently... Even the prisoners don't like her. Like, even the prisoners are pro-Federation or something. And they're like, how about we make it 8,187? And then they try to attack Michael. Sadly, they had no idea Michael was trained in Vulcan martial arts. They did not. A true 
I Vulcan moment. I Vulcan. Because she proceeds to whoop ass. Yeah, she does. And Commander Landry's just, everyone's about, like, there's guns and everything. They're about to get up and help her. And Commander Landry's like, no. Yeah. But it wasn't because she knew that Michael would be fine. She was just like, no, no, no. Let her sort it out herself. And and Michael sorted it out herself. Well, as she did. she often does. She can d- be depended on to do. In any case, uh, thereafter, the fight is interrupted and the rest of the prisoners are taken to the brig. And Michael is told that the captain wants to see her. Uh, she exchanges some unfriendly words with Landry in the, the uh, it's not an elevator, but that's what I'm calling it. And uh, yeah, they get in the elevator. See, they get on the escalator and they exchange some unpleasant words. Uh-huh. There's so many notes for this episode because so much of the show actually begins here on episode three. Uh, that Turbo I'm, lift. I'm, yes. It's a turbo lift. Yes. Sorry. We I didn't even have on to. That too. If you want to. No. no. So they get to the bridge, the doors open up, and who's in the captain's chair but dun 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 Commander Saru. And you're like, oh snap, Saru's the captain, and but no. He just looks at her and then turns back around. And then Michael is led right next door to the captain's ready room, mm. which is darkened and uh Spartan, I would say I would describe the uh, contents thereof. It's like a desk and a big bay of windows. That's about it in the captain's yeah. ready room. It's a bit weird. Very, uh, it's a bit strange. Because it's like a standing desk also. It's not like a desk. It is, yeah. There's not a desk. It's not like, uh, there's no like knickknacks or like what we're used to seeing in the captain's ready room. Like a fishbowl. Mementos or books or a fishbowl or something to remind them of home. Or if it's Enterprise, maybe they're watching water polo. Mm. Uh, that was a hashtag Enterprise dig. I'm with you. Uh, anyway, that's where we meet Captain Gabriel Lorca. None other than Jason Isaacs, Lucius Malfoy himself. Uh, well, I get very excited. I was delighted when this first happened. Lucius Malfoy. Lucius Malfoy. Uh, and he's staring off into the stars and he says something cryptic like, no matter how deep in space you get, you can always see home. At least I always thought so. Uh, which, whatever. What a weird thing. It's not what you'd expect a captain to say. <laughs> Which is maybe foreshadowing. Dun, dun, dun. dun no spoilers. Dun, dun. Hit him with the spoiler. Sorry. Alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Anyway, he's like, sorry about how dark it is. Uh, ever since I got into this weird accident, my eyes can't uh, deal with uh, abrupt light changes. So the lights slowly come up and he turns around. And he continues to be very weird and creepy and uh, doesn't really explain things. He's like, oh, when you're shuttle when we rescued it i re-looked at your files and your court martial and gosh it's just so great to have you on the ship also would you like a fortune cookie um yeah so he's got a bunch of weird things going on and she's like why am i here uh it's so weird that your shuttle picked me up i she doesn't michael knows something's going yeah. on she doesn't really buy it she's distrustful that this was just like a she's distrustful she's a vulcan she's putting it mm-hmm. together and she's like doesn't make sense yeah that the ship which already has is got two of my former crewmates. It just happened to pick me up. She knows that her crew, her ship changed course mid-flight. So anyway, she knows something weird is happening, and so we know something weird is happening. Uh, she is uh, thereafter sent to um, quarters, not to the brig. Mm. Uh, so she enters some very lovely, though still very Spartan quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
who's got two twin beds. She lies down on one of the beds to stare at the ceiling. And I love this. Well, this is one of my favorite moments. She turns the lights out. She's like, ah, let me dwell in the darkness of my incarceration. <laughs> and then the door opens up. Someone says lights in a bright and jovial voice. And we are introduced to the wonderful character of Sylvia Tilly, cadet mm. Sylvia Tilly. And she abruptly tries to make friends with this stranger in her room by telling Michael, you're in my bed. Yep. I don't know if we should we bring out our little theme song for Tilly. Is this the moment? Because Tilly becomes an important character. You know what? It's Tilly time. It's Tilly time. Tilly, don't be silly. Tilly, space is wide. Clearly, it gets chilly. Tilly, it's your time. Yes. Sylvia Tilly, who is the bright spot in all the madness uh, that will uh, happen throughout the rest of the series. She comes in. She's very uh, idiosyncratic, a little... uh, Mm. Socially awkward. Let's put it that way. Jumpy and excited. She's very awkward. She's like an awkward roommate on the first day of college who comes, who arrived early, set up their stuff, left. You lie down and you think it's a random bed. They show up and they go, hey, you know, that's my bed. It's my hyperallergenic pillow. And I snore and drool (laughs) because I'm allergic to polyester and I overshare too much. And hey, what's your name? And oh, your name's Michael. I've never met a woman named Michael before. The only Michael I know is the mutineer Michael Burnham. You're not her, are you? Ha 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 ha. Mm. Oh dear. Uh, and then um, Tilly lies down, and then a very strange thing happens. The lights go dark, and a black alert is sounded shipwide. Yeah, we do have a black alert. Doesn't quite sound like that, but we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'll. Maybe our music department. We'll, we'll work, work something that. together <laughs> uh, for future black alerts. And Michael has no idea what's happening, but like some water droplets appear mm. like floating in space and then drop onto the desk. And that is all we really get to understand about uh, that. She is uh, picked up the next, I assume next morning by Saru, who is holding a bowl of blueberries. This This episode had a lot of very strange interesting things hmm. Saru is sort of like come with me I'll take you to engineering he gives her a little bit of a rundown of the ship that it can have what like uh, 300 discrete scientific missions going on at any given time and so Michael's like is this a is this a science ship and Saru's like uh change of subject here have a blueberry uh, they have an exchange outside of engineering where uh, Saru basically says Michael I think you are a talented officer but it's, I think you're dangerous and I can't wait for you to be off the ship but and then Michael has this sort of apology moment as well. She does, but she never says I'm sorry. She's saying she says like I saw what you did for George's eulogy, and I just wanted to say dot dot dot. And he does he not say sorry or apologies or something? Yeah, Saru says I'm sorry, and yeah. she goes yeah. So he, yeah, he he leads <laughs> she, her into that. Yes, yes, she all could not say that she was sorry, uh, which is which is fine. Michael is still on a journey. We are brought into engineering. So this, things are whipping my fast. And engineering is also sleek and dark blues and purples and interesting and not like anything we've ever seen from Star Trek before. Mm. And Tilly is there. And Michael says, I'm supposed to speak to uh, Chief Engineer Stamets. And they say, well, he's in there in the science lab. And she's about to go. And they go, no, that's classified. And she goes, oh, no ships ever have 
classified science uh, engineering labs. And they're like, well, this is a discovery. So take a seat. So she goes walking around. I, I, I think Tilly tells her you can't be here. We have a science seats. Yeah. <laughs> Tilly, but she tries to take a module next to Tilly. And again, it's that sort of college moment. Totally. She's like, oh, we have a science seats. You have to find another. You can't sit. We there. can't sit here. Anyways, Stamets comes out and it is, hello, ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Rapp. Jason Isaacs and Anthony Rapp. I'm so excited for this show. <laughs> Just so great. Anyway, Anthony Rapp. I love this episode because we see all of these sort of principal characters sort of come together as one. Yeah, yep. Mary Wiseman as, as Tilly, Isaacs as, uh, as Lorca, and as Paul Stamets, chief engineer, Anthony Rapp, who does not take no crap from nobody. Anthony Rapp takes no crap. Anthony Rapp takes no crap. And uh, he walks out and um, of the secure area, sees Michael and says, who are you? <laughs> uh, Michael says, oh, I'm... Burnham or whatever and he goes I thought you'd be a Vulcan she says I'm not a Vulcan he says well that's clear she goes well I am a Vulcan well I'm not a Vulcan well I was raised on Vulcan I was but I'm I'm a human but I'm Vulcan to which we get our first Stamets stinger Stamets says to that my uncle Everett plays in a Beatles cover band that hardly makes him John Lennon Ooh, that stings it stings to get sung by Stamets. That's not the only stinger he does in this, but I don't think but it was the first one. It was an important first. Anyway, a bunch of weird. It was the first one. It's time to get get ready to get some stingers from Stamets because he does, as we said, he does not suffer fools or smart people. He didn't suffer people. Uh, no one really knows what's going on in engineering uh, as mm. a viewer. We don't really get it, and it seems like everything's classified. And Stamets gives her a thing and says, "Resolve this code yeah. for me." Because that's right. Because he comes in and he sort of got this dust on his. Oh, that's right. He's got some weird floaty dust particulate matter on his shoulder, which he wipes off. But we still are not sure what's happening at this point. Mm. Uh, he gives Michael some code. She works on it for what appears to be hours and hours. Comes over to him as he's talking to what appears to be a colleague, a friend. And they're saying very strange things about... On the USS Glenn. On the USS Glenn, he says, oh, yeah, we did some Spirian tests, and was there a bloom, something, something, and we did uh, this amount of displacement, and tonight we're going to go for a nine, Spirian 900 displacement, which Stamets says, that's impossible. And he says, oh, no, I worked out the kinks. I got a whole thing worked out. It's going to be great. And then Michael walks over and appears to interrupt their private conversation to which Stam says, I hate lurkers. And Michael says, well, look, I looked at your code. At first I thought it was quantum physics, and then it seemed like microbiology, so which is it? And wh whatever it is, this code is weird. And he goes, uh, great, and get out of here. So no one's really given Michael any answers. So she goes back to her room. Oh, yes, that's right. He There's like a breath. Like, instead of a handprint thing, there's, like, a breath scanner to get into the secret science place, mm. which is, I don't know how I feel about yeah. the science of that. I don't either, because I'm like, what if you, you've had your coffee or, you know, you're like, oh, crap, I've got to get, I've got to do yeah. something in the science lab before I come back right. and brush my teeth. Like, what happens yeah. then? Well, I'm assuming, because I fix things in my head that I don't agree with in science fiction, that your saliva, your, your... I thought yeah. that too. And they can check your DNA from that or something. But it just seems weird because I, if I had just had like uh, tacos and a chocolate milkshake, I feel like it wouldn't work on that thing. But Same. whatever. So 
she goes back to uh, to her bedroom, and Tilly is sure enough. Tilly is there snoring and drooling, and Michael takes a little sample of drool on a towel and finds an aerosol container and sneaks back into engineering and opens that door using Tilly's drool and uh, walks in and we see flowers, mushrooms, a foresty kind of, yeah. It looks like some sort of foresty type thing, this artificial forest. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of glowing, but also seems sort of Mm. natural. So looks like an enchanted forest. Hey, now don't, don't get ahead of me. Yeah, we are. (laughs) Anyway, Next thing we know, where Lorca gets a surprise message that's classified and he walks in engineering and everyone's there and he says the USS Glenn, which we just learned about in the uh, two or three scenes before, experienced some sort of critical accident and the whole crew was, quote, lost. But and at first I was like, hmm, I wonder, did the ship blow up? But they, he goes, no, we're going to go find the ship. Sam says, was there a bloom failure? And no one really, we don't know what's going on there. A little bit of an argument between Stamets and um, Lorca. It seems like Lorca's really a sort of a warmonger in Stamets' eyes, and Stamets is sort of an idealistic, super science, self-obsessed genius in Lorca's eyes. And Lorca has some great, like, this is war, like a this is Sparta moment. Anyway, he's like, put a team together. You're going over there, and you're going to get all the stuff from there experiment mm. to bring back here we're going to salvage and so he says hey take burnham with you he's like well i don't want to take burnham with me and then there's this whole yeah and he he's says like, to oh, saru oh that's please mr first officer saru what, what is your assessment of michael burnham and he says mutiny aside she is the finest starfleet officer i have ever come across and, uh, in fact he says smartest oh, was it? smartest yeah. thank you and Lorca looks at stamets and goes and he knows you. Oh, yeah, that's right. Lorca has a stinger. He has his own stinger. That's right. Boom. Oh, we're just falling into <laughs> wonderful family dynamics here on the USS Discovery. Uh, so they get into the shuttle, the Distal One, and they are flying to the USS Glenn, which is sort of dead in space. There is some conversation where Michael tries to figure out. Michael's just trying to figure out what's going on here. So that's why she's snuggling yep. the thing and... She's kind of questioning Stamets as they're coming into the ship. And she's like, what's the deal? Is this, is it biology? Is it physics? And Stamets is like, I can't believe you think there's a difference. Uh, it's physics as biology. Something about spores and interconnected blah blah blahs and yada yadas. And it's great fun. I don't want to spoil it. So they go to the Glen and I wrote dot, 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 uh, dot, 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 bodies ripped all apart. <laughs> It is a horror show on the Glen, on the USS Glen. Is it not? It is. It is a horror show. We don't know what's happened. There are bodies everywhere. Um, the bodies, they're like distorted, twisted, and like rip, like torsion and stuff like that. Um, and it's very, actually, I was thinking it was like very alien um, because they are walking down these darkened halls because there's no power on the ship and they're like looking with their lights and stuff and they're finding all the dead crew people and then they come across dead Klingons who look like they've been ripped apart, but not in the weird uh, yes. grotesque way as the crew. So Michael posits that these people must have come after the ship was dead in the air and attempted to raid it. And something mm-hmm. must have attacked them at that moment. Tilly cadet Tilly says you there in the shadows, show yourself. 
and a lone Klingon comes out into the light, shushes, and then is uh, ripped back by a huge monstrous beast. Sorry, I was going to say, I love that moment where Commander Landry says, is he shushing us? And he was. And it was, and it's too bad you didn't listen sooner because he could have said like, hey, there's a monster on board. But they found out when it ate him or whatever. And then they run, 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 run. The monster's running after them. They managed to get to, uh, to the bridge. They're trying to take all the data cores or they get to engineering and they take all the data and stuff and they find stuff in the weird chamber that also exists on the discovery that Michael was looking at, but we don't really know what the purpose is. And they've got the door closed with the beast is trying to break through. And then there's a, another door to get some back out to the shuttle bay that they can't open because there's no power. So Landry is folks like doing a focused phase rifle on it, but they're not going to get it open in time. And then Michael says, throw me a phaser. And then Landry says, no phaser for the mutineer. And uh, Tilly says, you can't kill it. And, and Michael says, I'm not trying to kill it. I'm just going to piss it off. So when it comes through the doors, after Stamets throws her a phaser, she shoots it three or four times and says, hey. And then the beast turns towards her. And she literally says, shit, it worked. And it starts running. And the beast runs after her, uh, distracting it so that the crew, uh, the, the party can get back to the ship. She is running through Jeffrey's tubes and the creature is running after her. And I think they're trying to, you know, she's trying to distract it and also get back to the mm-hmm. ship. She is quoting Alice in Wonderland as she is running through these terrifyingly uh, tiny tubes. Terrifyingly? And uh, terrifying. She is terrifyingly <laughs> running through these terrifying tubes. Yes. Uh, which, well, I guess maybe we can. Is that going to be in quotable moments or uh, should I quote it now? No, because that's really a quote from Lewis Carroll. We have lots yeah. of quotable moments. Anyway. Yeah. I was going to ask. When Michael says, oh, shit, it worked. Yeah. Is that the first cuss word that we have? I think that it was. Not in just the episode, but in... In the series. In the series so far. Yeah. And essentially in Star Trek so far, if I'm, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Unless Correct. there's a movie with some, some cussing. Probably uh, a movie. I feel like Chris Pine would have said it at some point. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know? I'm sure there was something gritty. Mm. Maybe Eric Bana. Okay. Don't get me started on those. I, I love them and hate them. I love them and hate them, and I hate to love them, and I love to hate them. <sighs> Just breathe through it, Aki. Okay. Wusa. Right. She says as she's, like, she's come to, like, a thing, and she blows a hole in the floor, and uh, we find out that she's waiting to, like, just leap down into the ship, but the beast is coming after her. She's quoting Alice in Wonderland. She says she was now only 10 inches high. Her face had lightly brightened up, she was now the right size to go through the little door into that lovely garden. And just at that moment, the ship shows up. She jumps down. She, she does an awesome superhero landing. Boom! Down on the knee, three point. Go! And she says, go! Yeah. <laughs> and they fly away. Uh, so that's cool. It was, such a, it was almost like such a Kirk moment. <laughs> it was very Kirk-like. It was so badass. Yeah. Uh, but it also was so Michael because she even though she is dubious of the reasons for anything happening to her at this moment, she still puts her life on the line to save these strangers yep. of whom only Tilly is sort of likes her. The, the other two are like outright. Oh, that's her. right. Cause on the, on the shuttle over to the USS Glenn, Tilly gives her an apology and says, I'm sorry. I didn't want you to sit next to me. I just want to make a good impression. I'm sorry. 
That's right. Yeah. It's that's quite right. cute. It's cute. And then we get back to the bridge. Michael is escorted into the ready room. Lorca is at his weirdo standing desk. And they have a conversation. It's apparent it's apparent through the like conversation that the prisoner ship is repaired and it's about to take off. And Saru's like, I hope you're on that ship. She's like, I won't be here much longer. And then Lorca, of course, says, I want to offer you a position on this crew permanently. To which Michael says, I have to decline. Um, to great quotes, which we'll quote later. But uh Lorca takes her by the hand and does a point-to-point transport down to engineering. He welcomes her Mm -hmm. into the weird, like, shower. It looks like a fancy hotel shower. It's like a glass door, glass world. And he takes a Mm. tube of what we can only assume is some of that weird material from the science lab. The dust thing that was on Stamets' shoulder, yeah. Puts it in the machine. Yeah, the dust thing that was on Stamets. And says, by the interconnectedness of these micro cellular things we're able to connect the entire universe together and you can be anywhere instantly and what we're building here is not a a biological weapon which is what michael was concerned that he was asking her help with he was like we're at, we're trying to build a new way to fly where we can be instantly here or there and that will help us win this war against the klingons and by and by he's able to convince michael that she should stay and finally give her a fortune cookie because he has a bowl of fortune cookies on his desk. He loves his fortune cookies. That's right. Yes. Mm. Incidentally, there right. is a tribble. Mm-hmm. There is a tribble on his desk. Well, the tribble, I, so I went back to do that, uh, to take a look at that. That's not his desk, right? That's the lab from the last scene, which we're about to get to. Oh, is it? I thought that Cause, was, because that was like a little shop of horrors in the last scene. I was sure this was, oh. the tribble was on the desk next to, or like on the opposite Gosh. side from the fortune cookies. I can't believe we're fighting. it was such an odd, everybody. I know. No, I'm so, uh, we shouldn't I will, uh, I was probably too busy trying to write down words. You're probably right, but I will check. <laughs> We'll post a correction if we're wrong. Yes. the There's two final scenes. The second to last one, the penultimate one, is Michael and Tilly in their room. And Tilly asks Michael to help her become a better Starfleet officer. And Michael quotes more Alice in Wonderland to Tilly because Tilly sees her pulling the actual book out of her bag. And the quote is very germane uh, to, I think, the argument for the entirety of the Star Trek Discovery sort of plot line. That you 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 know I think I don't want to get into a whole thing, but you sort of have to open yourself up to the idea that everything is not quite what it is, and sometimes it is in fact the opposite thereof, um, and that will bear fruit. Uh, the quote from Alice in Wonderland. I only wrote part of it down, but essentially the one about up and down and left and right and lost and found. Did you write them? I did not. I, I wrote everything else but, but <clears throat> it was something like up is down and down is up. And Oh, boy. I really failed. I really failed the nerds today. But I, I ran out of space on my paper. So <laughs> that's that scene. And then the final scene is Lorca in the lab with Landry. And he says, like, is our, is our guest uh, tucked in or, you know, on board? And she's settled in. Yeah, settled in. She says snug and tight. And he says, great, then we can. Well, she says snug as a bug in a rug. Yes, she does say snug as a bug in a rug. And we assume they're referring to Michael. But I think we realize right thereafter that he's talking because he walks up to a sort of darkened room, touches what you think is another thing, but it's actually a blue force field and says, here, kitty, kitty. And the beast 
from the USS Glenn, which has been blown up with torpedoes, rises up and roars at the screen and then huddles back. And that mm. is the end of episode three of season one of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Um, shall we move on now to stats? Don't have a lot of stats for this episode, but... Set phases to stats. Pew, 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 pew. pew, pew. pew. Um, we have the one black alert. Yep. There were no red shirts. Um, and I did notice that Landry says set phasers to kill when they're running from the beast. Yeah. She does say set phasers to kill. So everything about this Star Trek series is so different from everything else. Um, yeah. Set phasers to kill. If I was in Starfleet, I'd be like, what? We never do that. I don't know what setting that is. <clears throat> so that's those are the only stats I can think of. Um, I didn't. We didn't go to well, we did go to warp that we were aware of. There was a black alert, so at some there was sort yeah. of a warp, but we weren't. But we don't really. We don't really. Oh, then, was that a? Did we have a? Yeah. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! He sort of makes it clear in that final scene with Michael that they're using that drive to sh- to instantly move through the universe. Mm. But we don't really we don't get more explanation on that until later. All right. So. You know what to do. I do. Quotable moments. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Would you, do you have any quotes you'd like to... to uh, <laughs> um, any quotes see. you'd any like to get out of the way? moments. I'm able to reproduce that alarmingly well. Yeah, you are. Um, let's see. I liked... I'm trying to decide if I should tell you. You're in my bed. I quite like that one. <laughs> that was very good. It was just the way she delivered it was mm-hmm. was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll call you Mickey. And Michael was like, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> Until he goes, no, I won't. <laughs> no, I won't. Okay, fine. Oh, I, oh, actually, I did have another one that Michael said. I think it, and I'm, I may, because um, I, I didn't pause. I just went straight through. I think it was um, by the principles of the United Federation of Planets, I live. And by them, I will almost certainly die. You, yeah, I think you wrote that down absolutely correctly. Did I? Go ahead. Yeah, me, I'm the one that's always going back to write things down, but I think you nailed that one. Scribbling away. Yes. But those are my two. Um, well, I shall hit you with um, Saru's message over the bowl of blueberries before engineering. He says to Michael, Captain Lorca is a man who does not fear things that normal people fear, but I do, and you are someone to fear, Michael Burnham. Hmm. So we get a lot of clues about Lorca, about Saru, and about Michael in that one statement. And then I was very fond of how Lorca recruits Michael to get her to stay. He says to her at the very end, your assumption that the Klingons were waiting in ambush at the binary stars was predictive. You chose to do the right thing over and above what was sanctioned, even at great cost to yourself. That is the kind of thinking that wins wars. The kind of thinking I need next to me. Universal law is for lackeys. Context is for kings. From which we get the title of this episode. It was Beautifully beautiful. delivered Thank by you. Jason Isaacs. Yeah, he did a great job. I, I, <laughs> I did. I sounded like a nerd, but I was still <laughs> very excited. I was like, ooh, that's good. Uh, I want to I have a reason to say that to somebody. I want to be like, hey, universal law is for lackeys. Context is for kings. 
just say that to the the guy that runs my local bodega for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> he would, I don't think he would appreciate that very much. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, all right. So I guess we should uh, start to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's do it. Next time on set phasers. So. Next time on Set Phasers, we shall see how well the crew deals with Michael becoming a permanent part of it and how well she integrates into the crew. And the episode is entitled, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. So I'm sure it'll be a lighthearted romp through space. <laughs> a lighthearted romp <laughs> A lighthearted romp through space. Okay, so listen, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. If you enjoyed the program, you can catch us every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live or as a podcast every Monday, wherever podcasts come from. So please subscribe. Please do subscribe. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Set Phasers Podcast. Feel free to follow us and join in the conversation of all things Trek. Yes. And if you would like to support us on our continuing mission to discover whatever discovery has in store, we'd only be delighted. You can patronize us. We can take it by going to patreon.com slash set phasers. Until next time, I'm Steph Mans. And I'm Aki Burmese. And this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer. And program. Mm-hmm.